we go. No, it's lit up. That's yep. the Just wanted to know how close it should be to pick everything up without being too loud. All right. And so, good morning. Hope everyone has had a great week. I know we've been we've been busy, um, but before I get started, I just uh, like to thank Jim for allowing me the privilege to speak um, to his to his flock. Um, it's always a privilege to be able to um, shepherd a flock. Um, but it's also a great privilege to be asked to speak at, at someone else's church. So to be trusted in that manner is, is, is a great honor, and it's something I take um, very seriously. Uh, but if you don't know me, I've, I've been here a few times. I've preached a couple times. My name is Ryan. I'm an elder at the Journey Church in Marietta, uh, just newly installed, I think, over a year now. So uh, it's been, it's been a, an exciting year for us um, there. And, and again, um, our relationship with Jim is, is very deep and you know, it's brothers despite maybe differences in the way churches run. Uh, you caught a Baptist person off guard asking him to come up and, and say the gospel for a second there. <laughs> but that's not a problem. So I don't want to keep you long today, but I, I'm, I'm going to go through a sermon that I preached at uh, The Journey. We did a Philippian series, um, and it was it's, it's just a beautiful book. Um, if you are into, obviously you're into studying the scriptures Philippians is a fantastic book, as all of Paul's letters are. In fact, in, in Paul's letters, you really get this pastoral heart. You understand it, you see it in every letter that he writes. And there might be a different aspect of Paul's heart, of his pastoral heart, that we see in like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, so on and so forth. But Philippians is no exception. And in fact, I think Paul's heart really is seen in a tremendous way in this book because he's in this um, trial. Right? He's going through, he's in prison in Rome. Um, if you read Acts 28, and you can do that later, but I, I want to just kind of give you a little history on the book of Philippians before we go through this, because I know that you know, we haven't gone through it here, um, and obviously you can do so on your own, own time as well. But Paul is in Rome, and he's awaiting trial. He's appealing <clears throat> because he was put on trial before. He says, in verse 18 of 28, he says, When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So Paul's imprisonment at this time was actually kind of more like a home confinement. Um, he was able to um, have people come and go as they pleased, but he was still chained to a guard. And as you see that in the earlier stages of the letter of Philippians, he talks about how he's chained to the guard and how the gospel is advancing in that. Because the Philippians, they had this, this, this um, what do I want to call it, this, this partnership with Paul. Paul talks about partnership throughout the letter. And they wanted to know how the gospel was advancing, how the work was happening you know, in his life, how, how the gospel was moving to different parts of the country because they had invested in the gospel at this time. <clears throat> so regardless of Paul's circumstances in this, his life right now was not good, right? He's chained to a guard. He's imprisonment. You know, he can't go to and from as he pleased. He can't go on missionary journeys. He can't visit the churches that he, that he helped to plant. But, you know, Paul was not a stranger to these difficult situations, 
right? And in, in this Philippians, he's encouraging the Philippians in their faith as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. He's encouraging them in their faith. See, Paul knew a secret that he wanted to tell the Philippians, and this secret was the secret of being content in the situations that we'll, we'll talk about here later. Right? He wanted to share this with the Philippians. So we've, we've already read the text, so what I'll do is I'll just go through and I'll break down um, kind of verse by verse. We'll take it in three chunks. Uh, but before that, I want to pray real quick um, just for to calm my nerves because you know, anytime you handle the Word of God, it's, it's very nerve-wracking and you want to you know, present what is in the text and be faithful to it. All right. So Lord, we just thank you so much for this, this opportunity, this time to, to study your Word and to hear the Gospel proclaimed. Lord, I pray for hearts and minds to be open God, and that we would be encouraged as well. And Lord, that we would learn that our contentment in life uh, is based on you and our joy in life is based on you, Lord. We just thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start verse 10. And if you're taking notes, I've got three points. I don't have a poem because I'm not a poet. But I have three points. Um, and they're really simple. I've got point number one is gospel-centered gratitude. Point number two is gospel-centered contentment. You've seen a pattern here, right? And the third point is gospel-centered generosity. And we will get through, we will get through those here briefly. So verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So in, in verse 10, Paul is continuing with this theme that is woven throughout the letter of Philippians. Paul talks about being joyful. He talks about Thanksgiving. But, but joy is one of the themes that runs through this entire letter. In fact, it runs through many of Paul's letters. Paul was a very joyful person, even despite circumstances. But Paul states in this that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. So he, he attributes his rejoicing to the Lord. And we'll, get, we'll get to where we're talking about here. He rejoiced also in the generosity of the Philippians, right? The, gener- the, the Philippians, he's thanking them later in this passage. He's thanking them later for the gift that they sent him, right? He, w- he was rejoicing. This, this monetary gift in, in Roman um, culture, the Roman system of jail, um, many prisoners were, were dependent upon outside help and support. Again, in, in, in Acts 28, I know there's a lot of history in Acts 28 that kind of helps us to see where we are, and let me flip there real quick. But in Acts 28, in verse 30, he says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So he lived there two whole years at his own expense. So he had to really kind of fund himself as he was in this home confinement. So this, this gift that he received from the Philippians really helped him in that manner, right? But, you know, Paul's joy goes much deeper than this gift that was provided to him by the Philippians. Much deeper. His joy wasn't centered upon a gift that was given to him. Yet he was very ecstatic that the Philippians partnered with him and they remembered him. But his joy and his rejoicing was in the Lord, not in the gift. His joy was not based upon any of the circumstances that he was in, but it was based upon the Lord. See, Paul states... Again, we go further. He states that the Philippian church revived their concern for him. Now, this term that we, we see here when it talks about revived, it means to blossom again. So their concern for Paul had blossomed again. So think, think tulips coming back in the spring, right? They go away and they come back in the spring and then you're 
oh, look, my tulips have come back. And that's what Paul was saying. Paul was rejoicing. Like, you, you have revived your concern for me. But he says, not that you weren't concerned for me. You lacked an opportunity. I think, I think this is a, kind of a good example we get here as, as, as Jim is away in Rwanda and he's on a mission trip. And you kind of get that understanding of you lacked cons- you're reviving your concern for him when you see him post certain things on Facebook or when he you know, gives you a call or maybe sends you a message and tells you what all is going on. Right? It's kind of that same scope that we get, but not in the same sense because culturally we're obviously different. We have the Internet, and sometimes even though the Internet's spotty, we can still see what's going on in other parts of the country when you know, uh, our pastor's away or we have missionaries who are, who are in the mission field. But Paul didn't have that. Paul did not have the Internet. <laughs> Unfortunately, he probably, you know, maybe he would have the opportunity to post what was going on so the Philippian church would see um, what was going on um, with him. But, however, he continues, he said, you had no opportunity. So, what does this necessarily mean? You didn't have an opportunity. You were still concerned for me, but there was maybe two reasons why you, you weren't able to, to, to help out or to be concerned. And that um, is in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. Um, and we won't get in there, but Paul talks about how the Macedonian church had um, some great poverty had come a- across the church. So it could be the opportunity they had is that they lacked financial uh, means to provide for that. Or it could be the fact that Paul had been around the, con- the world at that time, so many different places, that they just didn't know where he was at that point in time to send him a gift. I kind of like to circle it back, though, to being that it's under extreme poverty, poverty that we see in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. And he talks about the whole uh, church in Macedonia in that point as well. And Macedonia, if you're not familiar, is present-day Greece. So if you look on a Bible, I had to look on a Bible map. I was so thrilled when I saw that. I was like, why is he saying Macedonia? And then when I looked and I saw it was present-day Greece, I was like, well, that makes sense now. So now I'm geographically astute, I guess. <laughs> So we see here that Paul's gratitude now is centered on the gospel. His heart was transformed by the gospel that he could understand what true thankfulness was. But Paul, does, he, he wants to make something clear here. He doesn't want you to feel, or he doesn't want the Philippian church to feel like this is the only thing he's con- this, that he's thankful for. Right? So he wants to give you a reason why this is not the case. Right? We'll continue verses 11 through 13. It says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I see the gospel produces contentment. That's my main idea, my main understanding from this text is that the gospel produces contentment in our lives, right? Contentment in our circumstances is a fruit then of gospel transformation. Good or bad situation, we are content in it. We know that the gospel is truly working in, in our hearts. It's hard to be content in a world of discontentment when, you, when, when your heart's not transformed by the gospel. See, Paul transitions his letter here to inform the Philippians of where his contentment truly lies. Yes, he was thankful for the generous, generous gift that may have resulted in a good meal or warm clothing, See, in fact, it says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He, he, he didn't care that he was in need. It says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. See, the gospel brings us to a point in our life where we can just say that Christ is enough. Right? I may not know where my meal 
next meal is going to come from, but Christ is enough, and He will supply. See, Paul rested solely in this very thing, Christ alone. For Paul, Christ was enough. Two things to take away from that so far is that our contentment in our circumstances is a fruit of gospel transformation and that Christ is enough. Right? We, we, we don't lack anything because Christ is enough. He, he fulfills our needs for us. See, the amazing part of this passage to me is that Paul says, I had to learn, right? I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Paul had to learn. Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, who we would look up to like, man, this guy was, this guy was it, right? Deeply spiritual, connected to the Lord. I mean, just this beautiful connection with God that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, despite his story, despite persecuting the church. And he still says, I had to learn how to be content. And that's, that's what is so amazing to me because, again, we look up to Paul. We look up, we look up to these people that we see in Scripture and we see that they're no different than us. That is beautiful. It takes the pressure off of us, right? Paul learned it. We're going to learn it. <laughs> so let's consider some of these situations that Paul was in, all right, to, to learn contentment. Let's, let's look at these situations. He states in both of his letters to the Corinthian church that he endured hunger thirst, being poorly clothed, uh, roughly treated, homelessness, he toiled working hard with his hands, afflictions, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, and sleeplessness. Sleeplessness, that's a hard one. Then Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 11, 25, and 27. He says, three times he was beaten with rods, once he was stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and day adrift at sea, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, Danger from his own people, people, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger Will Robinson. Just threw that in there. If you guys are paying attention. See, Paul was no stranger to difficult situations. He wasn't any stranger to it. It faced him. Every turn he would go, he faced opposition because of the gospel message. What we see in the heart of a man, we see this in Paul. We see this heart that has been transformed by the gospel, and that he used these moments to proclaim the gospel. Again, I stated in First Corinthians or First uh, First Philippians, Philippians chapter one, when he's 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 talking about the advance of the gospel and, and talking about being, you know, in prison and chained to a guard, but but he talks about being able to still proclaim the gospel despite that situation. And Paul elsewhere wrote that for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10, if you're taking notes. So looking back through Paul's writings, we see that despite everything, he was still content. Why? Why was Paul still content in all the situations that he faced, good or bad? He learned the secret that Christ was enough. This is why he could show gratitude. And this is why he could be content. This is why he could show gratitude to the Philippians for providing a gift for him because the gospel had, had, had truly affected his heart. And he knew the, the, what the reason was behind the Philippians' generosity. <clears throat> so this is something I think that we need to remind ourselves daily in our daily lives, in our daily struggles, in, in the good times and the bad times, that Christ is enough. Now, to be sure, contentment, again, in our culture is not something that's going to sell very well. It doesn't sell many books. You don't see a ton of 
um, sermon series is on being content, right? Because we live in a culture that is discontented. Everything around us, every person around us that we meet in the church, outside of the church, discontent at work, discontent at school, discontent with their marriage. I mean, I mean that's probably one of the leading causes of divorce that we see is just being discontent with their, with their spouse. I find that very sad that this is the culture that we live in and we have many Christians that still fight that very, those very same things that people outside the church do because we've lost sight of what it means to truly be content. You see, for me, this has been the case as well because I've battled discontentment as, as, as well as anyone else or as bad as anyone else. <laughs> see, I often struggle in my life even with you know, jobs and work and, and certain things like that, just being discontent with even a, a job that I really enjoyed, still being discontent in it because it just felt like I wasn't, that I felt like my work was something that was, was not fulfilling to, to, to Christ. It wasn't something that Christ really, that, that God would look at and really bless. But I think that we need to understand, like, I think we need to understand vocation and, and what that means to Jesus and, and, and understanding that in light of our callings as Christians. See, I found my identity in work. Christ was not enough for me, and I didn't see him as being sufficient because I felt as if I were self-sufficient at this point in my life. But you know what's ironic about studying this passage is that Paul, his declaration of contentment was meant to grip the Philippians' attention because this word that he used came straight from pagan philosophy. See, for pagans, contentment described a mindset of the person who had become independent of all things and of all people, much like myself felt that I had become sufficient in myself. But Paul, he redeems this word with a power, powerful Christ-centered ref, redefinition of it. Paul and all who are in Christ, you and I, are God-sufficient as opposed to self-sufficient. See, contentment and joy are not connected to our present situations or our circumstances, but they are inextricably linked to Christ. If we move on to this, we come to one of the most often quoted, misapplied verses that we see within Scripture, Philippians 4.13. And at times I understand the premise of why they're posting it, and I'm like, okay, use the Bible verse, you know where that's it, that's okay. But you probably have seen this verse plastered on coffee mugs, t-shirts, athletes' eye black, Evander Holyfield's shorts when he fought Mike Tyson. But I don't think they're using it in the correct context. I've recited it multiple times as I've tried to dunk a basketball, and I have still failed miserably. I can't dunk. I'm super short. Well, not super short. I just don't really have a high vertical, and I have small hands, so I can't grip a basketball. But it's hard for me, and, and I hope my son doesn't ever quote it when he's trying to hit a home run because it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but Paul is saying in this text, though, he's referring back to the things that he's talking about, all of these situations and these circumstances He's saying, I can do these things through Christ who gives me strength. You've got to consider the context in which we see this verse. Let's not pull things out of context. See, that's, that's our understanding. I know that Jim, Jim holds that here as well. Let's not pull scriptures out of context, but let's use them in their proper context and what that means. So he's referring back to the circumstances that he had to, to endure. And Calvin states this in his commentary of, over Philippians on this particular text. It says, Paul here is referring to all things. He means those things which belong to his calling. His calling as an apostle. His calling as a missionary. So the hardships and those things that he has to face, those are the things. And, and, and please know here, it's not just bad circumstances, because Paul states here, he says, 
I've learned the secret. I've learned to be content in whatever situation, how to be brought low and to know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he's faced it in the good times and the bad times, right? He learned to be content in both of those times. And I think it's a lot harder for us to be to learn to be content in the good times because most of those times we kind of move away a little bit from the Lord. Things are going right. All right. But then when things go bad, we're like, oh God, please help, right? I've done this multiple times in my life as well. You see, Paul's contentment was centered on the gospel. Let's continue. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And God, my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Kent Hughes in his commentary over Philippians said this about generosity. He said, generosity is singular, singularly, that's a hard word to say, beautiful, and when remembered, will promote a genial smile. So this is what Paul was doing, in a sense. Right From the very first passage, verse 10 to verse 14, he received this gift, and he's, in a sense, this, this smile, this genuine, friendly smile we see in Paul's letter at the very end here when he remembers this. From, from verse 10 to 14, it's that same smile that lingered on when he said, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And that continues on when... He assures the Philippian church that God would supply their need. See, the generosity then was evidence of the Philippian church's partnership with him in the ministry. But how could a church that endured such extreme poverty that we saw, we talked about in, in 2 Corinthians 8 2, how could they, how could they be so generous in, in their giving? And now, please don't take this as a shakedown. I'm not asking for you guys to, to give, but I'm just saying that generosity stems from something. And if we're generous in our, in, our, in our giving, it stems from being transformed by the gospel. This is, this is at least how I'm, I'm reading this text. Paul wanted to make sure that it wasn't a shakedown, and that's why he broke it up saying, this is the reason why I'm content. It's not just because of this gift. It's because I'm seeing what's taking place in your heart. So, so generosity flows from a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. And again, Paul here is ensuring the Philippian church that it's not... He's not seeking a gift, right? He's not shaking him down for money because Paul, Paul knew this was a great sacrifice. He already wrote to him. He said there was great poverty, 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote it. Right? He, says, he, says, oh, and he says he's received full payment and more and was well supplied. So he was well supplied and had full payment. He wasn't in need, but the Philippian church still helped him out despite, despite their circumstance. So it was because of their generous giving into Paul's ministry that Paul assured them that God would supply every need of theirs according to his riches and glory. See, God wasn't going to supply their greed, but God was going to supply their need. He's not some genie in the bottle that has come to grant us wishes. Right? He is our provision. And many of the times we hear otherwise on you know, television, Christian television. Right? We hear that if you would 
provide this, you know, this love gift of forty nine ninety five, then God's going to heal you. Or if you would send this, I'll send you a prayer cloth that I personally prayed over you, and you'll be healed of all your sicknesses. How much, how much of a scam is that do we hear? And a lot of those people that are in those churches, there's, there's so many of them that are believers, and they're, they're being duped. Right? They're missing the understanding of, of what the gospel truly is. If you watch TBN, please don't go under condemnation. <laughs> don't feel bad. I'm just simply stating, uh, you know, I, I went to a big televangelist's church uh, when I lived in Columbus, Ohio, way back in my earlier years of life. Um, and that was one of the things that you saw, this, this big church, big ministry, big house, multiple cars, private jets, those sorts of things. And I thought, in my, that's what I thought Christianity was. I thought that's what it was, but it's not. Many times we are called to suffer. Many times we are put in situations that are going to cause us maybe to even question, Lord, is this where I need to be? But I'll tell you what, God is faithful in those moments, right? And the gospel transforms our hearts. See, see, this assurance then when we go further that God will supply every need of yours. So this is assurance, right? This is our assurance in Christ. We share in the fellowship of the gospel through care and generosity. See, this, this brings us assurance. See, Paul's joy at the very end of this explodes into doxology when he states to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, this is the fullness of a heart that's been utterly shaped by the gospel. We cannot help but to worship and to adore and to ascribe all glory to God. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And that's the beauty of being content with the gospel in our circumstances. That's the beauty of of gospel changing our hearts so we could be gracious when people help us in times of need and, and to be gracious when it's time to help others in need. Right? So very thankful for Paul's heart in this letter. So very thankful as someone who does help to shepherd a flock to see Paul's pastoral heart in this. Right? Despite his circumstances, despite good and bad. This gives me hope. As I'm sure it gives every believer hope. You see, our gratitude and our contentment and our generosity are all linked to a gospel-transformed heart. And this is a thread that Paul was weaving through the entirety of his letter how the gospel truly affects us and gradually changes us to be more and more like Christ. It is these truths that we must be reminded of when we face difficult circumstances. And it's these truths that we must remember when faced with abundance. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we just thank you so much for